I do like the holidays, and, and the thing I like about the holidays are a couple of traditions that that I found that I have in my life or that we have as a family uh, that we get together. And that's what feels like the holidays for me. I, I cannot have a time in between Thanksgiving and Christmas where I don't watch uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I just can't, I can't, Christmas can't come without me watching that movie or The Christmas Story. I have to watch The Christmas Story. It just doesn't feel right to me. Every Christmas morning, uh, I, I have, when I was growing up, my mom would make red and green pancakes for us to, make, to eat in, in the morning. And, and so I still do that. I carry on that tradition that feels like the holidays for me. And I don't know what feels like the holidays to you. And for some of us, as we age and we lose people and, and we go through different seasons of our life, sometimes the holidays can be bittersweet. We hold uh, grief and joy along with that. And so uh, I get that. But I'm, I'm glad to be able to do those things alongside of you. We, uh, we have a Christmas movie in our, in our house. There's, there's a couple of standards. There's some that are dad's favorite and there's some that are uh, kids' favorite or Veronica's favorite, and every year it seems like there's a couple that we toss back and forth as somebody's favorite, but everybody else's least favorite. And one of those that came up a few years ago was the Grinch. Uh, and then we're talking specifically here about Jim Carrey's The Grinch. Uh, some people in our family love that movie. Other people in our family are kind of over it, and so we had to determine if we were going to watch that uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I remember growing up watching the cartoon, and in the cartoon, if you remember, uh, it's got the, the Grinch has the yellow eyes, and you remember the song, you know, he's a mean one, Mr. Grinch, right, and so you, we all can kind of sing along to that, it came out, I looked this up, it came out in 1966, I remember as a kid growing up and watching that and feeling uh, almost his, his looming presence over the town of Whoville. And I thought about that in light of the holiday season that sometimes I have felt that looming presence in my life. And it wasn't necessarily some kind of uh, green troll-like character that lived up on a mountain Sometimes it was relationships. Uh, sometimes it was hurt. Sometimes it was unmet expectations. And I realize that there are things that oftentimes try to steal the joy and peace out of parts of our life. And so over the next several weeks together, as we look through Scripture and anticipate in the season of Advent, we're going to talk about some things that oftentimes steal Christmas or the, the peace and joy that we have in knowing that we were given a Savior. I don't know about you, but I one of the holiday things that I love the most is Thanksgiving. In fact, it's my favorite holiday. Um, it feels to me less stressful, and there's all the food that I love. Um, so those and football. So I mean, it's the trifecta. It's everything I want. Uh, and I remember growing up, my mom clipping coupons 
for Black Friday deals. You know, we got to go here and here. And Veronica and I got married, and we went out uh, combat uh, hunting one time on a Black Friday. It was, I think, the latest I've ever stayed up and shopped. Uh, it was awful. Uh, and I enjoyed being with her, but the rest of it was terrible. Um, and, and it seemed like Black Friday kind of grew into like, you know, Christmas or uh, Thanksgiving morning, like it just kept growing and growing. And this year, actually, we went out to the store. We'd forgotten a few things and everything was closed and I was surprised. I was like, wow, this is good. People are, people are home. I should, I should go back home. Uh, this is good. Uh, I did some research this year on Black Friday. This is what I found. It said Black Friday shoppers this year, 2023, spent a record of $9.8 billion on Black Friday. It's an increase from the year before, which also set a record, but it increased by 7.5%. I don't know about you, but my income didn't increase by 7.5%. And we had Cyber Monday, a relatively new thing for us. And uh, the statistics from that came out was $12.4 billion more spent on Cyber Monday, which was an increase from last year of 9.6%. And now they're saying really, ultimately that Black Friday is now a week-long process. And this year they anticipated, although the numbers haven't come in, that it'll be somewhere over $40 billion that shoppers have spent this year in one week time. And I thought to myself, if I could convince every one of those people, you know, just to, to give a dollar, you know, Steve uh, will we'll have all home projects finished, right? And doesn't have to do any of it himself. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> I thought, what are we, what are we spending forty billion dollars on? Things that I'll later go to Goodwill and find, and we buy it on stuff. And more stuff. And more stuff. And it led me to think, like, what do we do with all of the stuff? I remember uh, we, we bought a home in Michigan. It was the first time ever in my life we had a three-car garage, and there were, at the time, two drivers. And I was like, this is perfect. We're going to have a, a place for her to park and a place for me to park, and we'll even have, like, a little extra bay where we can put stuff. And then I realized quickly, like, uh, I'm not going to be able to ever park in the garage, right? Like, we have so much stuff. What do we do with all of our stuff? And I looked this up uh, over the last couple of weeks and found out that self-storage is a $38 billion business a year. Check this out with 2.3 billion square foot of storage space in the United States alone. That's enough for every single person to have 6.5 square feet of their own for storage space in addition to their home. It's a lot of space for stuff. But that's not how most of the world lives, 
with stuff like that. And so, as we look at the series this week, I wanted to start off with an understanding of the the way in which you and I live. And today, if it's a little bit convicting, uh, that's good because it's been a little bit convicting for me over the last couple of weeks as I've been looking at this. I found this that seven, uh, 719 million people live on less than $2.15 a day. That's less than $65 a month. 719 people, or 719 million people in the world. Of that number, 453 million live in poverty, who live in poverty, have no education or basic schooling. 453 million. And then I dug a little bit deeper and I found this, that if you made at least $1,500 last year, $1,500, that you are in the top 20% of the world's income earners. $1,500. You're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. It's not much. And if you made $25,000 last year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. $25,000. And here's this. If you have saved any amount of money, $5, and you have a hobby that requires any kind of supplies, play uh, the guitar or you craft, and then you have a couple of options for clothes, you got a sweater and a t-shirt. And you have two cars. They may not both be working. And you live in your own home. You are in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. That's you. That's who we are in this society. But here's... The thing is that in, in this time when we come up to the holiday season, oftentimes we're reminded of the stuff we don't have. <laughs> and suddenly as we compare Instagram stories and Facebook posts and we see other people getting together and we wish that we had some of the same stuff as they have, oftentimes it's the stuff that leaves us feeling like we're missing out, like there could be more. And if you and I are not careful, the stuff we own will eventually own us. And I wonder if we live in a society, in a world where we talk about numbers in in the billions of dollars and in the billions of square uh, foot to keep all the stuff that we have because it won't any longer fit into our homes. If we've already reached the point where the stuff owns us, we don't own the stuff anymore. And so today I want to read a section of scripture. This is, this is such profound wisdom that I love because Jesus is preaching a sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mountain. I have to tell you this, I'm really excited in this New Year's, we look forward to, uh, to coming up. We're going to give you an opportunity to kind of dive into Scripture a little deeper uh, in 2024. And, and by doing that, we're going to be looking at really 
uh, in depth uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and if you have the Version Bible app and you search out in events, Wellhouse Church, everything is listed there for you. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, and, and here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to talk about stuff in terms of three things. He's going to talk about it in terms of our heart. He's going to talk about it in terms of our eyes, and he's going to talk about it in terms of our energy. This is what he says, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the thing. As Jesus points out, your treasures will reveal your heart. We oftentimes think about that in a different way. It's like, well, this is where my heart is, so this is, this is, what, my, well, this is what I treasure. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not, that's not how this goes. Your heart will follow your treasures. It will reveal it to you. Most of us understand this. Have you ever worked somewhere before where they had a mission statement on the wall? It was, it was a plaque somewhere, or you went through some kind of training class, and they're like, all right, this is the mission statement. This is, this is what our heart is all about. But then when reality like set in, you recognize like that was not at all what they truly cared about. For some of you, who you, you, know, you grew up, and it was like, you know, uh, Dad says family is everything that matters to him. In fact, I remember doing a funeral years ago. And it was so profound as I met with the family and the wife and the kids. And I said, tell me a little bit about your dad. Tell me a little bit about your husband. What was he like? What did he want to do? And they said, man, if you asked our... Dad, he would say he, he loved his family the most. Great, wonderful. How did he spend his time? And he was never home. We rarely ever saw him. And he was always working and doing things outside the house. And, but he loved his family the most. See, it's easy to say one thing, but your treasures will reveal where your heart truly is. And if we're not careful, what our treasures will reveal is that our heart is far from where we want it to be. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, be careful about the things that you accumulate in life. Look at them, be aware of them, because it reveals what's going on in your heart. And you can accumulate a lot of things in life, but I'm telling you, if you're not careful, the things that you accumulate, oh, they'll, they'll break, they'll die off. They won't be around anymore. But the things that truly matter, they'll always be there. And Jesus isn't done, and he says this in verse 22. It sounds like he's almost kind of changing the language here, but 
but really he's staying on track. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus, as he talks about this treasure and what we accumulate, he recognizes that there's a lens by which we see things. We see treasures and we, we want them in our lives. In fact, the treasures will not only direct what you see, but how you see it. And you've seen this before. Usually it's easier to see with other people. You ever been around somebody that's like, you know the thing is bad, but they can't see it at all. It's like they have already decided that was what they were going to do and the choice they were going to make and the thing they were going to buy. And so they were running headlong into that thing. You're like, I don't know how you don't see this. I feel that way with every scary movie that I watch, right? It's like, come on, man, you know, don't enter into that dark house. That's, we all know you're about to die. Why are you doing this, right? But they do it anyway. Because there's things that we see and we understand, oh man, that's not good. And Jesus says about your treasures, man, you have to be careful in the way that you look because what, what your treasures are will affect not only what you see, but how you see it. And there are things that seem so meaningful at the time, and then later on you recognize how meaningless they truly are. And some things in life so valuable, and yet we miss the meaning. Isn't that true, the story of the birth of Jesus? Right, where there's this significance, there's this star that's shining down from heaven. There's this birth of the Savior, and yet so many people were fixed their eyes on something completely different at the time. So few people had a lens in which to see. And I think I wonder in our world if confirmation bias, which is really a tendency to search for and interpret and favor or to recall things that confirms what we already think or believe to be true. I wonder if that doesn't impact how we go about our life and how we accumulate the treasures that we see that are valuable. We already think we know what's the most important thing in life. We've already kind of tuned everything else out and so we don't pay attention. This is your lens. And here's the problem with it. It takes shortcuts so that we can focus on what we think is most important while oftentimes missing out on the very most important things in life. And as we gather around in seasons and times like this, man, it's so easy to concentrate on the stuff and forget the reason of why we're gathering together. I find this to be true a lot of times with churches. I've been in ministry for 24 years. I could tell you story after story of people approaching me after a Sunday morning or sometime through the week, and they say, man, Steve, it, we hate those songs. Your sermon went real long. 
We hate the color of the paint on the walls in here, the carpet. We didn't like the point that you made. We don't like the clothes that you wear. Your hair was a little... One time I had somebody come up to me. This is the God honest truth. And she said, your beard's uneven. <laughs> okay. Do you want to trim it for me? I'm not really sure what's happening here. Yeah. And those are weird things, but they're true examples. And the reason why I point them out is because there's sometimes we walk through life with a lens that we see the things that seem to matter in the moment, and we miss the things that are so valuable right there in front of us. And folks, listen, I love you way too much to allow you to miss the most important reason for this season. I love you way too much to let you miss the opportunity of even things like today where we get to serve in our community and the, the impact that is made not only in serving them but joining with others in that service where we get to work together with other organizations and other people and do God's work. I don't want you to miss it because it's not just going out and having fun. It's not just putting on a shirt and, and spending some time together with people you know. It is being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. And the world needs more of it, so don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't look through a different lens of how long is it going to take. My time is valuable. I didn't get to necessarily do the thing that I was hoping to do. Oh, that's not the valuable part. The valuable part is that God can use you in, in, in unimaginable ways. But you have to have the eyes to see it. So your treasures will not only direct what you see, but how you see it. Jesus isn't done. He finishes up this way. and Most of you who grew up in church are probably most familiar with this verse. This is verse 24. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And, and the word there in, in Greek for money is mammon. It really just, it really just means stuff. You can't serve God and stuff. And I love that it's generic because it's different for you and me. Your stuff is not my stuff. Have you ever figured that? Have you ever thought about that before? It's like have you, you go into somebody else's home, and it's like clearly not yours. And you're like, these decorations are awful. You know, I'm glad it's not mine. You have stuff, and I have treasures. That's what makes my house better than yours. And I think, yeah. I think Jesus leaves it intentionally vague when he could have made it specific. Because he recognizes there's a stronghold of stuff in our life. And sometimes that stuff is tangible. It's like, man, I really, really want that new 
sometimes that stuff is intangible. And I see everybody else getting together with their family, and I wish my family looked like that family. Jesus says, listen, be really careful about what you worship. He doesn't put it in, he doesn't put it in that term. He says, be careful what you serve. But the truth of the matter is, whatever we worship, we serve. And he says, you can't serve multiple things. You can't worship multiple things. You can only worship one thing because whatever it is you worship demands your energy it takes up your time one of the things that's always interesting to me and i get it we have six kids and we can get, be pulled in a million different directions than we have for a very long time you talk to somebody whose kids are in junior high and high school and they're in a sport or they're in theater or they're in chorus or whatever it is is like they're being pulled in a million directions what did you do tonight we had practice again. You know, it's like you're constantly being pulled because that's what demands the time. And if you take that principle and you apply it to the thing that, that you treasure, you recognize there's only so much of your time, there's only so much of your energy to give. See, what you treasure will eventually demand your energy. And so Jesus says, be careful. Be careful what you treasure. Be careful what you put number one. Be careful of the thing that the stuff, whatever the stuff is that you want to accumulate because it will demand everything from you and you will have almost nothing left. And see, that for some of us in this room, that's exactly where you are right now. And that's exactly why the holiday season seems like it was stolen from you. Like you have no peace and no joy because you have no energy left. Like everything's already depleted and it's not even here yet. And you don't know why, but you feel like you have nothing left to give. And I wonder if... The reason for that might be, as Jesus would say, well, maybe you need to look at what you treasure most. As maybe if you had less stuff, whatever that stuff is, and more of me, maybe you would find more peace and joy in less stuff, and you'd be okay with it. How do you transition from that? How do you get out of that funk? If that's where you feel like you are right now, then here's what I would say. I would write down three things for you this week to think about. If you have a pad or paper, or you take notes in your phone, this is the first one. Be honest about what you really, truly treasure. Don't be like the guy who says, like, listen, I love my family, but I don't ever spend time with them. They matter the most to me, but I don't ever invest in them. Be honest about what you truly treasure and then measure that up to say, is that what I really want as the most important thing in my life? Is that what I really want my treasure to be? The second one is this. 
discover the value of spiritual treasures. Remember what Jesus says, first of all, there's two different kinds of treasures. There's one that passes away, and then he says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where nothing will diminish in value. I have a lot of regrets in my life, a lot. There are things I wish I could go back and change and do differently and say differently and act differently and have a different attitude about. But you know what I've honestly never regretted? I've never regretted when I invested in my spirituality. Never regretted it once. I've never thought to myself, man, I wish I would have prayed a lot less about that. Never thought that way. I've never thought, you know, I wish I would serve less. I wish I would give less. I, I wish I would be, uh, you know, less patient with people around me, less judgmental. I wish I would have, you know, uh, a little more pride in my life. If I just had a little more of that going on, then discover the value of spiritual treasure and lean into that. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, remember, if, if, you've been, if you've invested in, in, uh, in church in a while, then you know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of the good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus came to this earth because God so loved you and that, that he spent his life and his death for you, that you could be saved. That's the good news. And there are four people who wrote about it. And one of those guys, his name is Luke. And he's a doctor, and he actually wrote two books in the New Testament, Luke and then a book called Acts. And Acts is where we find the, the history of the church. So after Jesus dies and goes to heaven, then we see the church kind of form and take off, and it begins to grow. And Acts is where that's recorded. But at the beginning of Luke and Acts, both of those written by a guy named Luke, we hear this brief mention of a guy. His name is Theophilus. Why that name has never caught on, I don't know. <clears throat> Theophilus. <clears throat> In the Greek, Theophilus means lover of God. And what we find out, we know very, very, very little about Theophilus other than this. That Luke says, you wanted an account to be sure of the things that Jesus did. And so I'm going to write them all out for you. Most honorable Theophilus. You know why we have the books of Luke and Acts? Because of Theophilus. Because without Theophilus's uh, donations, without, without his funding, those books would have never happened. See, we give all credit to Luke, who writes Luke and Acts, and we get to learn a lot from that. But it was Theophilus who wound up looking and understanding that the value of spiritual treasures, that God gave him a lot of stuff. And so he said, the stuff isn't for me. It's not to put in my storehouse. It's not to make me feel better about me. It's not the lens through which I get to have more of in my life. My lens is, I want, without, a, without beyond a doubt, would you just put it down on paper so that not just me, but everybody else can see. 
what God has done. See, there's a value in investing in your spiritual treasures. And here's the other, the last way, I think, that we can combat this draw to stuff that winds up stealing our peace and our joy is to be wildly generous. It is, um, it's a core value here at Wellhouse that we call you and I to partner together to be wildly generous. It's the reason why we get to do today uh, uh, to go out and do Hope for the Holidays where over 200 kids in foster care homes will get to celebrate Christmas this year. And lots of other families will benefit through that too. It's more than just giving a little bit of money. It's more than just wrapping presents. It's, it's more than just shopping. It's an opportunity to be wildly generous with the things that God has given you. We're starting out here in December, and December can sometimes feel like it's over in a blink, but here's what I'd love to challenge you to do beyond today, because today will be great, and I'm so looking forward to it. This week, and over the next several weeks through the end of the year, I want to challenge you to do one thing. Look around your home and look in your garage with all the stuff. Look in your pantry with all the stuff. Cupboards with all the stuff. And your kids' room with all the stuff. And discover how many things that you have two. When you only need one. And here's my challenge for you. If you have two, give one. Find somebody who could really use that extra seat at your table you have two. You only need one. Find somebody who could use an extra meal because you have enough. Enough for two. Give one. Challenge yourself this week and next week to look around and see what you have an abundance of. As somebody else in the world, 700 million of don't have any. And maybe what you'll find is the less stuff you have, the more room you have for Jesus working in your life. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you to the tables, and there's one on either side, and it's this open invitation that there is enough for you and I. We don't live in a scarcity mindset with Christ. He is more than enough. And he invites you to the table, sinner and saint. Those who feel like they've gotten it all right and those who feel like they've gotten it all wrong. Welcome to the table. You get to do that alongside of friends and family and strangers. But you're all invited by the same host who loves you and cares about you and calls you there and calls you by name, and wants to this season give you peace and joy, and not allow anything to steal it from you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace.
Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you, transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, whose unparalleled and unchanging, whose matchless merciful, who's supreme and sufficient, who's before all things and through all things, in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed today.